0: This is Smart Poker Study episode 212, preparing for the 14th annual turkey shoot. I hope you caught last week's killer interview with Peter Clark. He told us how you could take GTO solutions and use them to exploit the regs at your stakes. It's Poker Study Time, y'all, and it's also the day after Thanksgiving, so for those who celebrated like me, you must have woken up this morning with like five extra pounds of turkey, pumpkin pie, and like beer in your stomach, you know? But thank you so much for subscribing. I really do owe a huge, huge thank you to each and every one of you for lending me your ears. For those of you who watch on YouTube, the various videos or the podcast on YouTube, I uh, you know want to thank you for lending me your eyeballs and all that stuff. Your support, sharing with friends, all of that stuff. That is how we grow and I owe it all to you. So speaking of growth, we have some Patreon growth this week. Dennis Tree just started supporting. He is now officially a smart poker study insider. Thank you so much, Dennis, for that support. I really do appreciate it. Dennis, along with everybody else on Patreon, they're getting the episodes early sometimes as far as three days in advance of everybody else who's listening on itunes or their favorite podcatcher just a little benefit for supporting the show you know and your support shows me that you enjoy the what i'm doing and that you want me to keep on keeping on with the podcast the training videos all that jazz to start your own support go to patreon.com slash study or of course you can click the link within the show notes page There are different levels of support, and with each level comes a different reward. The $5 level is the free patron-only podcast every month. The $10 level is the patron-only training video every single month. And speaking of months, a new one, December, is coming up right around the corner. And with it, of course, brand new rewards. So get in on the action now so you can get that new video and the new podcast as soon as it drops. And of course, once you do become a Smart Poker Study insider, you'll have access to the archive of podcasts and training videos. So once again, please visit patreon.com smartpokerstudy to start your support. Alrighty, we're going to get to it. Today I'm going to discuss the preparations that I undertook this past week for the 14th annual turkey shoot. Now, I don't expect any of you to know what that is. It's a local tournament put on every year by my cousin and his best friend. It's a live 27-man tournament, uh, which I've played in, I think, for the past maybe seven or eight years or so. Maybe eight or nine years, actually. It takes place every Black Friday, and I'm taking this very seriously this year. Well, I've taken it seriously every single year, but this year extremely seriously. So I'm going to share with you my preparations for the tournament. So... Please visit the show notes page for everything I discussed today, along with screenshots and links at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod212. And when you go there, of course, you can sign up for the weekly boost for exclusive poker strategy direct to that inbox. All righty, let's do this. Gambate! (laughs) So the 14th annual turkey shoot, it's been put on by my cousin and his best friend, like I said, for every single year for 14 years straight. And it started off as a three table home game with all of their friends. And I think I missed the first six or seven years. I can't remember the number. But then I started playing in maybe the seventh or the eighth year. And it's always been on Black Friday when just about everyone has a four day weekend. So it's perfect timing. And I was finally able to play in the tournament after I left my restaurant manager gig, you know. You've maybe never thought of it, but restaurant managers, they have to work every single freaking holiday. And I think the only holiday that I ever took off was Halloween. Every Mother's Day, Father's Day, New Year's Eve, every Christmas Eve, every Thanksgiving Eve, I was there working. Uh, Luckily though, you know, we were always closed on Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day, as most businesses should be, I think. Well, so anyway, this is the 14th annual tournament, and I've won the tournament outright once. I chopped it the final two players once. I chopped it, if I remember right, I think it was four ways, and another time six ways I chopped it. Uh, well, no, it wasn't six ways. It paid the top six. We chopped it seven ways right there. Nobody wanted to bust out the bubble boy, so eighth place ended up being the bubble boy. Uh, too bad for him. I think his name was Jacob that year. Uh, anyway, it's a $125 buy-in, and first place I think is around $1,200 with sixth place getting a little bit more than their money back. Uh my cousin also puts on a raffle and the prizes are often some court, some kind of like alcoholic gift, you know, those gift boxes with like um Jim Beam and a couple of glasses kind of a thing and I look forward to this tournament every single year because it's a ton of fun And let me tell you the competition is not stiff at all Um, so I want to talk about my preparation for this tournament and thinking about this whole preparing for the tournament thing Brought a quote to mind. It's from dwight d eisenhower Here's what he said in preparing for battle. I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable so my goal with all of this planning is to prepare myself to play the best poker that I can um, during the tournament this Friday. So I'm going to discuss my planning through five different aspects. The first aspect is the location of the tournament. The second is the tournament structure. The third are the players at the tournament. The fourth is the practice that I'm putting uh, that I'm putting in before the tournament starts, and of course, the fifth is my game plan. So. Let's see here the first one is the location of the tournament now this tournament takes place it's a local card room in the middle of town and it has a separate walled off area that contains i think it's just six tables and that's where we always play outside of that there's the normal cash game tables and i think there might be 12 of those over there uh, they also have various table games like blackjack and pi gow and other stuff going on so we take up three of the six tables in that back room and there's always a fourth table going on for like a high limit game. And I think last year it might have been a 2040 limit hold'em game. Uh, it's a pretty fun environment. They have a full bar, tons of televisions around the room, of course, which is super good for me because it helps to distract my opponents. That's right. If they're looking up there at the screen to look at ESPN highlights or the current football game that's going on, freaking killer right they're paying less attention to the cards less attention to my actions less attention to uh to 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 stack sizes to the board all that stuff if they are distracted and I'm paying attention I have a leg up on them for sure and the tournament begins promptly at 6 30 p.m actually I shouldn't say promptly because it's normally a few minutes late because stragglers you know so it's three tables of nine players. But sometimes we actually get a few extra people show up. So we end up having like 30 players, you know, three tables of 10. And my cousin used to have it at his house. But uh, now that he moved it to a card room, we actually have professional dealers, which that allows us to get in more hands every level. And speaking of the level, the second aspect of my planning is all around the tournament structure here. So this tournament, it's a cross between an online turbo event and like a hyper turbo event. The levels are only 20 minutes long, so that, you know, we're basically really lucky if we see nine hands per level. And if I remember right, we start with 10,000 in chips, but the first level, it's terrible. It's 100, 200 blinds, so we only start with 50 big blinds. Um, At just 50 big blinds, people start getting knocked out in the very first round, and there's no re entry at all. And this is shocking when I first started playing, but I'm used to it now. There are no aunties. And I think this is because it started off at my cousin's house and we didn't have professional dealers. The deal went around the table, right? It's a pain in the butt collecting aunties from everybody. When everyone's drinking and having a good time, people forget their aunties, all that stuff. So, you know, there's no aunties to save us time. But as you know, without Anties, there's less of a reason to steal pots, and even less of a reason to defend your blinds. Anties normally add just about one full big blind to the pot, and this is great when your opponents don't understand the value of those extra chips. But it's kind of a bummer for me because I understand the value. I get so much more value when I'm attempting to steal pots or when I'm defending right there. I know what those extra chips does to the math involved with different plays. So without them, it is kind of a bummer. But you can see how this is a cross between a turbo event, where you start with maybe between 75 and 100 big blinds, and a hyper turbo, where you start with, if it's a hyper turbo sit and go, that's 10 big blinds, or some hyper turbo big tournaments, like, Uh, yeah, it's it's less than 100 big blinds, you know. All right, so this leads me to the third aspect of planning, the players. Now, I'm totally used to the players in this game, and they're just like those at any local tournament. There are going to be a few nits at the table who they only play decent to really good starting hands. And of course, there's going to be a few maniacs who just love to raise, they love to three bet, and they can double barrel bluff. Although with short stacks like we have, It's really easy to get it in on the flop or the turn, especially in a 3-bet pot. So uh, you don't always have the opportunity to double or even triple barrel. Doubling is normally the most you're going to be doing in this kind of tournament. And there's also going to be a ton of flop-loving, loose, passive players. This is the best because these are the players who love to limp. They love to call 2-bets because they basically just want to see that flop. They want to play some poker. In their mind quote-unquote play some poker you know forget this pre-flop raising stuff I want to get in we should all see the flop then the poker begins no 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 that's not how that's not how I play as I discussed in a prior uh, walking Wednesday episode you know and once these guys commit some chips in a two-bet pot if I come over to the top with a three-bet they're definitely going to call with really wide ranges unless I make that three-bet really big you know so these players these loose passive guys they're super good to get value out of and i've got to be betting down every street with top bare hand flop turn river bet 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 against these kinds of guys and one characteristic that i've noticed about a lot of these players is when they build a big stack they use that stack but not to push opponents off of hands they don't become table bullies What they do instead, they use it to become just table whales. They're just constantly calling a ton of raises and seeing a lot of flops. And they're doing this with really wide ranges, which of course is great for me. It's so crazy seeing somebody maybe at showdown in a six big blind two-bet pot, right? The guy limps and then he calls with a hand like six four suited versus a six big blind iso raise. I mean, there's no way you can make that profitable in the long run. You should never make that play. But these fishy players, they don't really see it that way. They think they have a six and a four and it's suited. I got to play it, you know, and I mentioned nits already, but some of these players are super, super nitty. You know, this is one of the very few tournaments that they play in a year because they're here with their buddies and they don't want to bust too early, right? Most of the time when people bust early, they do head to the bar, get a drink, and they'll sit down at some cash game tables but because this is one of the few tournaments, like I said, they play nitty, and these are the guys when that pot gets bigger and the board is a little scary, these are the guys that it's easiest to push them off of a hand. Now, there are a couple of good players like my cousin and one of his friends who's a really good maniac player, and a few of the other guys who I've chopped with before and maybe who've won the tournament as well, but I would estimate out of the 27 players, I would say that 80% of them are loose passive calling stations. And I know that the times that I've won the tournament and gone super deep, that's when I caught a string of good cards and I was able to extract tons of value from the players that just could not find a fold. You're going to hear them say things like, I know I'm beat, but I call anyway. And that's music to my ears. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com poker smartpokerstudy. Here's what you have to do. If you love learning poker and you don't always have the time to sit and read a book, maybe you want to learn as you're mowing the lawn, as you're walking the dog, as you are doing the dishes, you know, get the audiobooks. So what I recommend, go to audibletrial.com slash smartpokerstudy. Your free audiobook, should be my third book, Preflop Online Poker, and then go ahead and purchase How to Study Poker Volume 1. It's really cheap on Audible. You purchase that one, you get that more expensive Preflop Online Poker as your free audiobook. Bam! You are killing it with your learning. You're using your ears now to improve that poker game. So once again, visit audibletrial.com smartpokerstudy. And two shout-outs today. The first goes out to Ken Nielsen, who picked up the Smart HUD. He uses PokerTracker 4, and now he's using it even more so than just, uh, like, studying hands out of his database. He's using the HUD aspect. He's installed my Smart HUD, and he's using it to exploit his opponents. Thank you very much for purchasing that, Ken. I really do appreciate it. And if anybody else wants to follow in Ken's footsteps and exploit their opponents, with PokerTracker 4, of course... Go to smartpokerstudy.com slash smarthud to learn more. And I want to read a really cool email I got from Woody Adams. Here's what he said. Hi, Sky. Just wanted to extend my thanks for your Smart Poker Study podcast. It's helped me improve my game significantly. A couple of weeks ago, you put out one on three betting and four betting strategies. Last night, I applied what you taught. I was able to rapidly build my chip stack and my reputation as a loose aggressive player, which is a shift from tag to lag. The first hand that I doubled on was with a four high flush. LOL! I was in the big blind and it had limped around. I flopped bottom pair with my four and called a bet for my opponent in the hijack. When the turn gave me a flush draw, I led out to take control of the hand. I would have been happy with a fold at that point, but he called! I made a flush on the end and shipped it in. Villain called off his stack with top pair no kicker. The whole table was surprised to see my two four of diamonds making that river flush. I definitely caught some good rivers last night, but I got there with the best hand more often than not. Another tip of yours that I've incorporated into my study of the game is note taking. I'm doing selfie video hand reviews during tournament breaks a la YouTube poker vlog style. Maybe I'll put that content together. I'm also using my notepad on iPhone to take character notes during the game, noting which players limp pre- and fold to flop c-bets, then taking advantage of those spots when they arise. Finally, I found that your advice on pot control helpful as well. Pot control does not simply mean check-then-call. I was able to keep pots at the size I wanted by 3-betting, donk-betting, and check-raising. I ended up taking home a good score when I placed first out of 43 players. It was rewarding when some of the regulars who have played with me over the past two years approached me to say that they have seen improvement in my game. Thanks for all your help. Your material is great. Well, thank you very much for that message, Woody. I really do appreciate it. Hearing stuff like this, it warms my heart and it really helps me to keep on keeping on, you know, when I hear that you enjoy my stuff, not only enjoy it, but that you're actually learning from it and making money off of it, it just, well, it's motivation for me to keep on keeping on. So thank you very much, Woody. And over the past year and longer, everybody who has sent me uh, some kind of form of email, you know, nice words via email or in some of the social medias and stuff, I really do appreciate it. Like I just said, you guys motivate me and you keep me keeping on. Alrighty, back to class, poker people! So the fourth part of my preparation is practice. Now, I decided to play in a local Sunday tournament, as well as some online games to work on my game, you know. It's not like this is a crazy high buy-in tournament, but there is some prestige because I'm playing with a ton of guys that I know, and I've played with uh, for years now. So I want to do better in the tournament, and practicing, I think, I mean, I've I'm pretty sure that's the best way for me to kind of uh, uh, get in tournament mode because I'm not often playing in tournaments, you know. So this practice is killer. Now, I decided to play in that local Sunday tournament uh, this past week. Uh, it's an $80 buy-in, and it's a $5,000 guarantee. And this is great practice because the players here, they basically match the ones that I'm going to be facing in the turkey shoot. The only difference is that this tournament has proper antes, which, of course, I love that aspect of it. So here's how my Sunday tournament went. I got there a little early and I registered. Then I headed back out to my car for a little meditation. This is my basic practice. This is what I always do when I go to one of these tournaments. It just, meditation just gets me in the mood and kind of puts me in the right mental spot for A game play. After I did that, I headed back into the tournament uh, for the start of it. And there ended up being six full tables of 10 players each. And by the time re-entry ended after level five, there were 73 entries total. But this is awesome because it ended up being shy of the 5k guarantee. So there was an overlay, which that's always welcome, of course, you know. Now, the tournament went pretty smooth for me and I started chipping up right away. I ended up busting, I'll tell you now, I ended up busting 16th out of 73 and they paid the top 10. So I busted out of the money, not necessarily on the bubble, but kind of near it, you know. As I was playing, I recorded 15 total hands where I uh, saw the flop. You know, I I voluntarily put money in pre-flop and then I saw the flop. I didn't record any hands where like I was in the big blind and I checked and then saw the flop and folded. None of that stuff. So 15 hands total. And I might create a video or do another podcast explaining my rationale, the way I played those hands. But there's two hands that I want to talk about right now. Hand number one is an iso raise with ace-queen offsuit. Now, this one occurred in the fourth level of play, maybe. I was in the cutoff, and I faced two limpers. I made the isolation raise to six big blinds with ace-queen offsuit. Uh, one of the blinds and one of the limpers ended up calling. Now, the flop came down king, ten, six, rainbow. So, I flopped a gutshot straight draw with one over card for the ace. I c-bet after both players checked. I made the c-bet, and they both called me. The turn brought a four, uh, and I ended up checking behind. Now, I did this because both players called on the flop, and the four didn't help me, and it wasn't a scare card either, right? I chose not to double barrel because there wasn't much reason for them to fold here, unless I decided to make it super big, but I was in position. I was able to check behind, and basically keep the pot relatively small while I didn't have anything but an ace high hand and a draw you know but the river came a miracle jack and that gave me the nut straight I was ecstatic right and this is what happened the player in the blind checked and then that first limper the one that called preflop he donk led for 2,000 chips I was so stoked but I had some kind of a brain fart I don't know how this happened I counted out 2,400 in chips, and I put it out there like a raise, but my intent was to raise it to 4,400. Like I said, it was some stupid brain fart, so my incomplete raise counted as just a call. I had the nuts, and I just called accidentally of course but I felt like a complete idiot because his two-pair hand he had king jack right um on the river he would have paid me off I guarantee with his two-pair hand to 4,400 chips I mean I could have probably made it 5,000 or 6,000 he probably would have paid me off at that point so I was bummed about that little brain fart but I'm gonna learn from that next time and not allow that to happen again you know And the second hand is my bust out hand. Now this was with ace eight suited and I had 11 big blinds left in my stack. So we were down to 16 players. And like I said, 11 big blind stack. It was folded around to me in the cutoff. And I felt that my hand, ace eight suited, that's really too strong to fold. But I didn't wanna just make it three big blinds or four big blinds because the two players who were in the blinds, they had big stacks. So they were calling quite frequently. So utilizing my suited ace, I decided to open shove for 11 big blinds uh, with with a full one big blind in anti, almost one big blind in anti There was basically 2.5 big blinds uh, that I was going after. And if I would have picked that up, I'm adding basically 20% to my stack for a simple shove with ace eight suited. And even if I get called, at least I have an ace and I have some equity, uh, you know, with the suited or uh, flush equity, flush drawing equity, I guess you could say with the ace eight, the suited aspect of it. So I decided to open for, a, or uh, open shove for 11 big blinds, but it wasn't either of the blinds who ended up calling. Instead, the button, the guy to my direct left, really cool guy named Ted, he's also a dealer at the room, but he called me with pocket nines, and I estimate his stack was roughly 35 big blinds or so, so I don't fault his call at all, right? Of course, I did not catch an ace, and he actually turned a trips on me, so I busted out in 16th place because of it. Like I said, the tournament paid the top 10, so we weren't necessarily on the bubble, but we were pretty close. Now, looking back, I could have folded the hand instead of open raising, kind of in an effort to get a better, like a better hand later, or just open raise from the button uh, or the small blind to try to take down the pot, right? But people were folding a lot to open shoves, so I don't think it was a bad play at all to make. I can't fault myself here, but I do wish I had caught an ace on the flop and that he didn't turn trips, you know? Now, I've also been doing some online sit-and-go practice. I'm recording this podcast on Wednesday, uh, a couple days prior to the tournament. So far, I've played 21 sit-and-gos, and goes, and i have made the money 33% of the time. My ROI is 14%, which isn't really great, but at least I'm profitable right now. I'm going to fit in some more sit and goes tomorrow before Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm going to play some on Friday during the day before the tournament at night. Now, I think that I'm playing pretty darn well in these sit-and-goes, and and I feel ready for the turkey shoot, but I know a few more sit-and-goes will give me a little bit additional practice um, to help me prepare a little bit more. And now, the fifth part of my planning is my game plan. So, that Dwight D. Eisenhower quote from earlier, that reminds me of another famous saying that I'm sure you've heard of. Here it is, no plan survives contact with the enemy. So planning for the tournament this week, I believe that it has prepared me to play my A game on Friday. And I do believe that no plan survives contact with the enemy. But I still decided to come up with a game plan, uh, but I'm not beholden to it. And I'm going to quickly ditch it if necessary, or ditch aspects of the plan if if necessary, based on who I'm sat with their relative positions against me, and the cards that I'm being dealt, right? Uh, So here are the parts of my game plan. The first is to get involved early. Because we only have 50 big blinds to start, I cannot play nitty and wait for a hand. I really have to get in there and stir things up. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be playing 9-4 offsuit or Jack Deuce offsuit, but I will be playing suited connectors, suited gappers, all pocket pairs, broadway, and of course, random ace-x hands. The next part of my plan, there's no need to defend the blinds due to the missing antes, So I'm going to be much quicker to fold my blinds versus raises, uh, especially with a random hand or a hand that I just don't feel is worth playing out of position. And, of course, if it's not a good spot to 3-bet bluff, the lack of antis makes it even more unprofitable to do those plays, so I'll probably be making fewer 3-bet bluffs out of the blinds. Alright, the next part of my plan. Record every hand that hits the flop that I'm involved in. So I did this with the prior Sunday live tournament, and I think it really helped me to remain focused on my play and the play of my opponents, so I'm going to do it again this coming uh, tournament. The next part of my plan, I'm going to have a solid reason for entering any pot as the caller. You know, too many of the loose passive players I'm going to be up against, they call because their cards look pretty or they just hope to hit a flop. I'm going to call because I see an opportunity to make money with my hand or to make money against this opponent. Or, you know, maybe I see a good chance to possibly bluff later on in the hand. I am NOT going to enter pots as the 5th limper or the 3rd caller just because I have a hand like a suited king or a suited jack, you know. I'm going to look for every opportunity to raise instead of limping or calling. But if calling does look to be profitable, I'll be doing it. The next part of the plan, I'm going to value bet at every opportunity, especially on the river because they just do not want to fold. So, like I said. These players are calling stations, and I've seen them call down with very weak top pair and second pair hands quite often, so I will not miss value against these players. The next part of my plan, I will fold my second pair hands versus any barrel bets. The next part of my plan, I will tend to believe my opponent's post-flop raises and bets, and this kind of goes along with the prior uh, plan or prior part of my plan right there. So when somebody bets one quarter of the pot on a wet board, I know that it's a blocking bet with some kind of weak pair or even a draw. So I need to respond accordingly there. And if they bet big, then they have a big hand that they're trying to get maximum value with. I cannot tell you how many times I see people over betting the pot with the nuts or the near nuts in hopes of getting paid off. What they should be doing is betting smaller to get value from their fishy opponents weaker hands. But they make the bet so freaking big, full pot, Pot and a half on a scary board. It makes their opponents' decisions super easy to make. You know, these guys are telegraphing their hand strength with the size of their bet, and I'm going to take advantage of that. And the last part of my plan, I will be a one and done flop bluffer unless I have really good equity. Now, I'll probably throw out the flop C bet about 80% of the time, is my guess. But as soon as I get called. I'm going to shut down on the turn unless I have a value hand or I have enough drawing equity in the hand. Like for example, I have queen of spades, jack of spades on a 10, 9, 3, 2 spade board. So this would give me an open-ended straight draw, a flush draw, and two overs for a top pair hand. Now this is definitely worth barreling and it's likely with these short stacks When I barrel this kind of hand, it's going to be an all-in bet on the turn to put maximum pressure against these opponents. Challenge! Here's my challenge to you for this episode. Take the time to plan out the next live tournament you play in. Think about the tournament location, the structure, the types of players you expect to encounter, and how you're going to practice for the event. Then, put a plan together that helps you exploit your fellow players Remember that no plan survives contact with the enemy, but the fact that you're planning will give you an advantage over those who don't give it any extra thought. Now it's your turn to pull the trigger and do something positive for your poker game! You better wake up. The world you live in is just a sugar-coated topping. There is another world beneath it. The real world. And if you want to survive it, you better learn to pull the trigger! This episode is not complete until you head to the show notes page at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod212. When you go there, you'll find links to everything I discussed today, ways in which you can support the podcast, and keep me keeping on. Thank you so much for listening today. Please leave a review for the show on your favorite podcatching app. This is the best way, other than direct word of mouth, that you can help the show grow. And of course, if you can type or say the words Smart Poker Study, you can find me on Alexa, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. And if you have questions, I have answers. Send an email to sky at smartpokerstudy.com. Alrighty, poker people, send those questions in, because in the next episode, number 213, I'm going to answer three of your questions. Word of mouth is the best advertising, so thank you very much for sharing the show with other poker people. You're sharing, and caring is what helps us grow. Until next time, study smart, play much, and make your next session the best one yet.